Looks like somebody's been browsing the restricted section of iTunes. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for seekers of forbidden knowledge. No one knows how he survived that attack by you-know-who. He should have been blasted into smithereens. Only a really powerful dark wizard could have survived a curse like that. That's probably why you-know-who wanted to kill him in the first place. Didn't want another Dark Lord competing with him. I wonder what other powers Potter's been hiding. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. Welcome to the episode. We are reading this week The Rogue Bludger and The Dueling Club, both in Harry Potter and The Chamber of Secrets. This podcast will contain cursing, lots of cursing. Literal and figurative? Yeah, actually, this time there will also be... Just actual curses. Harry Potter cursing. Yeah. And also, spoilers for this and future Harry Potter stories, it will also contain some exciting adult themes, which this week are banned books, sports medicine, wand-to-wand combat, snakes, and fates worse than death. A lot happens in these chapters, and a lot of it is pretty grim. So buckle your wizarding wand seatbelts. What? Do, do they wear seatbelts in the Fort Anglia? I don't... Fuck no. I'm sure they don't. They I'm don't sure. do even really, really basic safety measures. <laughs> I'm sure. Like Quidditch players don't wear padding. I guarantee you they don't have seatbelts. <laughs> I'm sure Mr. Weasley was like, what are these neckties doing in here? <laughs> <laughs> these are a weird consistency for muggle clothes. Uh, let's talk about what happened this week. All right. This week, Harry, Ron, and Hermione attempt to convince... Actually, they don't attempt to convince. They convince Professor Lockhart to sign a permission slip for them to check out a book about making polyjuice potion from the restricted section of the library. Turns out it's not very hard to get Professor Lockhart to put his autograph on really just about anything. Funny side note, in the opening part of this chapter, Professor Lockhart is having Harry reenact scenes from his books because he's not actually bringing dark creatures into class after the big pixie disaster. Um, That part is excellent. There's another Quidditch game, and it's just as batshit crazy as every other Quidditch game, except this time, Harry is pursued by a motherfucking rogue bludger. Harry's arm is broken by said bludger, which chases after him, even though it's supposed to unseat every player. It's like attacking Harry, and there's some drama. It breaks his arm, but Harry manages to capture the snitch anyway because he's a baller and a snitch caller, grabber. Uh, Professor Lockhart attempts to heal Harry's broken arm, but ends up removing all the bones in his arm instead, so Harry is shuffled off to the hospital wing. He wakes up in the night to find Dobby lovingly sponging his brow, telling him that he shouldn't have come back to Hogwarts. Dobby is the one who bewitched the bludger to repeatedly attack Harry because he knows that the Chamber of Secrets is gonna be open, so Harry's like, Jesus fucking Christ, why can't I just have a normal school year? Uh, Dobby pieces out by mysteriously vanishing, I don't know, house self, transportation, teleportation, it seems. I guess they can apparate. Dobby pieces out. Harry sees 
Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall bring in Colin Creevy, who has been petrified. So, Beast of Slytherin strikes again, and we overhear Dumbledore telling McGonagall that the Chamber of Secrets has, in fact, been opened. Again? Again. Turns out it's been opened before. Yeah. Oh, we find out that the Chamber of Secrets has been opened before. So, apparently, this is just a thing that happens at Hogwarts uh, from time to time. Harry, Ron, and Hermione resolve to... Well, first, Harry's bones have to grow back. Uh, but after that, Harry, Ron, and Hermione resolve to... They have they realize they have to accelerate their plans to unmask Draco Malfoy, who they believe is the heir of Slytherin who's unleashed the beast within the chamber. They concoct a scheme to rob Snape's office for various ingredients to go into the polyjuice. This involves setting off a firecracker in... The dungeon during potions class chaos ensues hermione snatches the boom slang skin whatever that is <laughs> and uh you know other accoutrements meanwhile professor lockhart starts a dueling club where they pit children against each other in battle magic battles uh everybody's really interested in this dueling club as a way to i guess defend themselves against the evil monster and you know it's Fight Club or whatever. People are, like, psyched. During the first Dueling Club meeting, Harry is pitted against Draco. Draco sends a snake out of his wand against Harry, which Harry then talks to. So Harry is outed as a parcel mouth, which means he can speak parcel tongue, which is snake language. So Harry's bilingual, which you might think is cool, but everybody's real freaked out because I guess that is a skill that mainly dark wizards have. So people start to get freaked out by Harry. Conspiracy theories abound at Hogwarts because it seemed like Harry was trying to sick this snake on another student, Justin Fitch Fletchley. But Harry was actually telling the snake, back off, man, like, don't go after Justin. But nobody believes Harry, so Harry confronts one of the leading conspiracy theorists, Ernie McMillan, and some various Hufflepuffs who've been chattering about Harry behind his back. They don't seem to believe Harry, so he storms off in a huff, and wouldn't you know it, he runs into Justin Fitch Fletchley, who's been petrified. So Harry's in the wrong place, wrong time, Definitely looks like he's been attacking Muggleborns. The rest of the school happens upon this scene. There's general pandemonium, and McGonagall takes Harry to Dumbledore's office because he has some explaining to do, and that's where we are. Yeah, but one note, when Justin is petrified, so is nearly headless Nick, and that's a ghost. So whatever this thing is can hurt the already dead. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. So many things happen in these chapters where I'm just like, whoever should have stopped this is off on another planet. Like, Hogwarts is off the fucking rails. Yeah, Hogwarts is so, where out do we of get? control. These, um, these two chapters. First, the Quidditch game. The bludger manages to have been cursed by Dobby. So clearly security around these murder balls <laughs> is lax. Dobby gets in and clearly pretty easily makes it so that the bludger attempts to literally kill Harry. Like he says in it that that bludger could take your head off. Right. Okay, so that's just step one. Then it almost does kill Harry. Smashes him in the arm. He could have fallen off his broom. He could have 
fainted. I mean, there's various ways in well, which he crashed. This... He crash lands. He crash lands. Like... And, fa- and passes out almost immediately. So, yeah, you know, right. He's in shock from the pain. He's gravely injured. Yeah. Hideous injury. Also, like, it sounds like it smashes into his shoulder, which means it's not just, like, it's not his elbow that's broken. Like, he's shattered, like, most of the bones in his arm. Then, nobody fucking stops Professor Gildery fucking Lockhart from taking Harry's bones out. A strange and unpleasant sensation started at Harry's shoulder and spread all the way down to his fingertips. It felt as though his arm was being deflated. He didn't dare look at what was happening. He had shut his eyes, his face turned away from his arm. But his worst fears were realized as the people above him gasped and Colin Creevy began clicking away madly. His arm didn't hurt any more, nor did it feel remotely like an arm. Ah, said Lockhart, yes, well, that can sometimes happen, but the point is, the bones are no longer broken. That's the thing to bear in mind. So, Harry... Just toddle up to the hospital wing. Ah, Mr. Weasley, Miss Granger, would you escort him? And Madame Pomfrey will be able to, uh, tidy you up a bit. As Harry got to his feet, he felt strangely lopsided. Taking a deep breath, he looked down at his right side. What he saw nearly made him pass out again. Poking out of the end of his robes was what looked like a thick, flesh-colored rubber glove. He tried to move his fingers... Nothing happened. Lockhart hadn't mended Harry's bones. He had removed them. Like, where is Madame Hooch? Where is Professor McGonagall? Where is Dumbledore? Where is, like, Snape even to be like, you know what you shouldn't do is any magic? (laughs) Well, I don't think Snape would have intervened, probably. I guess not, but, like, (laughs) I don't know. He might have. He hates Lockhart. Uh, He would have taken any opportunity to humiliate Gilderoy. Hooch should have called the game or delayed it when it became clear that one bludger was intent on homicide. Why are they allowed to play through? And then there's this whole conversation <laughs> It where... is raining, so maybe she can't see it that well? So then cancel the whole fucking game. If the referee can't see the players, you cannot play Quidditch. All right, all right. Anyway. They then don't do any kind of inquiry into who cursed the bludger, that that scene ends, and that's it. Yeah, it's like, are we just going to forget about this? Yeah, that like, this happened? no uh... teacher is like, we should probably check on how this <laughs> murder ball became an even murderer ball. Super murder ball. Super murder ball. Yeah. That happens. There's no, this floors me, there's no disciplinary action taken against fucking Lockhart. He should be fired for taking a kid's bones out. Doesn't that seem like a fireable offense? I guess accidents happen. Uh, I don't know. So? You get fired for accidents, too. If you're a bus driver and you accidentally Uh, crash the bus and all your kids' bones (laughs) fall out? Like, you get fired. I know. Maybe they have an incredible union at Hogwarts. Fine. Don't fire him. Nobody's even like, hey, Professor Lockhart, do you think maybe that you should be able to do magic better as a teacher? Like, he doesn't even get any professional development. Nobody's like... It's a little bit of a problem that you tried to cure some bones and instead you took them out. That's a problem. Uh, It is pointed out that the bones aren't broken anymore. You are, that is not a good argument. That is flimsy. I'm just, I'm I'm trying to reason this out like a wizard. And they seem to. Or idiots. They They seem to think that that's a good excuse. Yeah. Okay. So that all happens. Then the man who 
very recently took somebody's bones out of their body is allowed to oversee a fight club a baby fight club and he even says Lockhart has the line Dumbledore has given me permission to start this little dueling club and I just wrote in my book why like why does he have permission to do that I don't know maybe Dumbledore's into extracurriculars or beyond Quidditch there's not that many it seems like there aren't that many school clubs Okay, well, probably because everything suggested is murder club. Or let's be real, Dumbledore probably thinks this would be funny as shit. Yeah. And Dumbledore's <laughs> just like up in his tower cackling like a lunatic. Gilderoy Lockhart, the only person who should less be allowed to oversee children fighting each other than Lockhart is Snape, who deeply wants multiple of those children to kill each other. So let's take the second and first least qualified teachers to keep children safe in an incredibly unsafe suggested environment and put them in charge and let them just watch babies fight. I said disarm only! Lockhart shouted in alarm over the heads of the battling crowd as Malfoy sank to his knees. Harry had hit him with a tickling charm, and he could barely move for laughing. Harry hung back with a vague feeling it would be unsporting to bewitch Malfoy while he was on the floor, but this was a mistake. Gasping for breath, Malfoy pointed his wand at Harry's knees, choked, Tarantelegra, and the next second Harry's legs had begun to jerk around out of control in a kind of quick step. Stop! Stop! screamed Lockhart, but Snape took charge. Finite incantatum! he shouted. Harry's feet stopped dancing, Malfoy stopped laughing, and they were able to look up. A haze of greenish smoke was hovering over the scene. Both Neville and Justin were lying on the floor, panting. Ron was holding up an ashen-faced Seamus, apologizing for whatever his broken wand had done. But Hermione and Millicent Bulstrode were still moving. Millicent had Hermione in a headlock, and Hermione was whimpering in pain. Both their wands lay forgotten on the floor. All right, so is this scene really worse than, say, dodgeball? That could get pretty brutal back in, uh, in middle school. Did dodgeball ever involve killer snakes? At your uh, school? I guess you're right. Okay. But you know. Snape suggests the terrible snake curse. Like, not yeah. only does Snape try to prevent, not only does Snape not try to prevent these things, he actively I, suggests. Yeah, I, love, I love that Snape is going for maximum carnage, basically. Which brings me back to my initial question, which is who the fuck is in charge? Meanwhile, a monster is going around killing kids, well, petrifying them, but damn close to killing them, and Dumbledore is like, Oh, we got a mystery on our hands. It's like, you need to work harder. <laughs> also, the fact that Dumbledore, the only reason anybody found Justin Finch Fletchley, I bet you. No, Colin Creevy. I mean, the only reason anybody found Colin Creevy is because Dumbledore was on his way down to the kitchen for a hot chocolate. And probably a little something extra. Oh, yeah, no, probably a nip of rum. Yeah. A couple of nips. Mm -hmm. Or Dumbledore knows what's going on and he found him on purpose because I think he's letting this happen. Right? I don't know. This kind of brings us back to... How much determination Dumbledore has over the events in these books. Because, right. like, Dumbledore knows that Professor Lockhart is incompetent and he lets him run the dueling club. Dumbledore wants all this to happen. Yeah. Because he's a fucking sociopath. Or he's just, I don't know, he's kind of always operating on a higher level, I guess. Or he's dealing with higher order concerns, which the question is, should that 
be affecting his mission as an educator so much. Um, I'm not sure. He extremely shouldn't be the headmaster. (laughs) I agree with Lucius Malfoy so deeply on that point. Just for different reasons. Uh, I actually think for pretty similar reasons. Lucius is basically like, Hogwarts literally isn't safe for my kid. Lucius is right. Yeah, yeah. Hogwarts is not safe for anyone, anyone's kid. Pull your kids out of Hogwarts. Nobody is at the helm of this ship. <laughs> no one's driving. It's a Ford Anglia on the loose. So we also find out that Dobby is the one who cursed the bludger and the one who blocked the entrance to platform nine and three quarters. Yeah, that part is so freaky when Dobby is lovingly sponging Harry's head. He wakes like, up and Dobby's like misery just like, or something. It is. It's like, yeah. Oh my god. Dobby is like I love when Ron says if he doesn't stop trying to save your life, Harry, he might kill you. It is like misery. He's like the Kathy Bates character. Just a bit. He's better I mean, you know, he's better than her. Nicer, ultimately. Ultimately, but, but you know, here's an interesting thing that we learn about Dobby though. Ah. Uh. If Harry Potter only knew, Dobby groaned, more tears dripping onto his ragged pillowcase. If he knew what he means to us, the lowly, the enslaved, we dregs of the magical world. Dobby remembers how it was when he who must not be named was at the height of his powers, sir. We house elves were treated like vermin, sir. Of course, Dobby is still treated like that, sir. He admitted, drying his face on the pillowcase. But mostly, sir, life has improved for my kind since you triumphed over he who must not be named. Harry Potter survived and the Dark Lord's power was broken and it was a new dawn, sir. And Harry Potter shone like a beacon of hope for those of us who thought the dark days would never end, sir. And now, at Hogwarts, terrible things are to happen, are perhaps happening already. And Dobby cannot let Harry Potter stay here now that history is to repeat itself, now that the Chamber of Secrets is open once more it's interesting to learn that the the reign of the dark lord as bad as it was for wizards was the burden was born in an outsized manner by even more marginalized creatures right which is the way that authoritarianism works right or any kind of major social upheaval like recessions or natural disasters Right. Always fall on the burden the less, is always yeah, the... heaviest on the less privileged. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean that's just an interesting little detail that you learn, but it you get a better sense that Dobby's desperation is comes from something like that. Dobby's not sort of just crazy, right? That he is reacting to a reality that he lived through. That was, I mean, he's basically like. Harry, bro, you think breaking your arm on a bludger is bad? Wait till the Dark Lord comes back. And I don't want that to happen to you because he calls him a beacon of hope for house elves, which almost made me cry. It's another moment where Harry realizes that his life, in a lot of ways, is not his own. I think he has an awareness of that by this point in the book because of how other wizards react to him, but... uh, The story of Harry Potter also belongs to Dobby, you know, and it means 
a lot to Dobby and his compatriots. So it's another moment of uh, Harry kind of waking up to his very large responsibilities. And there's a certain sense in which Harry doesn't really own his body. And Dobby basically is trying to make the point, and I think it's it's a complicated point and an interesting question of, is Harry's autonomy more important? Is Harry's like ability to live his life as a, as a kid and go to school and be near his friends and all this stuff more important than the symbolic Harry that so many members of this society need to keep alive in order to feel like there's hope. So is Harry's body his own? Is Harry's story his own? Is the life he lives more important to him or to the people who rely on him as a symbol? That's a complicated burden to put on the shoulders of a 12-year-old. It complicates Harry because Harry is starting to understand how much more he means and that this interaction with the Dark Lord, which to him is like a personal tragedy, to the wider world is a victory. So that's the other thing is he has to grapple with the fact that this moment that in a lot of ways destroyed his life, saved the lives of thousands or millions of witches and wizards and Dobby is kind of like I don't really care what you want a lot of people need you you have to take care of yourself because you have a responsibility and Harry has to be like I didn't really ask for this poor Harry god he's just a kid and I don't know if any of that is like conscious in Dobby or if he's just also crazy (laughs) (laughs) I mean he is he's also like oh he's a wackadoodle (laughs) But, oh, when he has to iron his fingers and he, has, uh, he, he shows him his, yeah, his bandaged, like, flattened out fingers, that's fucked up. We also learn that Dobby can't be freed unless his master presents him with clothes. Yeah. Which is a, a great little, little detail. Little Although, of... friend of the podcast, Misha, sent me an email and one of her questions that I thought was really funny was, so does that mean Dobby can't do laundry? They have a house servant, but the only thing he can't do is... I don't think they can physically pass him the laundry. Oh, they just have to command him to do it. Yeah. Mm. If it's all in a basket, they can't give... If they give him the basket, then whatever weird magical law or tradition or... I I don't know. Why why even is this? Why It's a great detail, but... (laughs) Oh, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think clothing is individuality and autonomy and choice right and also they wear like these household all of because we meet later on winky wears a tea cozy right so we they wear household items as this sort of physical like as almost like a hair shirt like this physical symbol of their servitude yeah i i I like the symbolism i just uh i wonder is this like a magical thing or is it just like is it law or is it actually like a curse that breaks Mm -hmm. it seems like the latter right it doesn't it seem like it's like, a norm. Otherwise, Dobby would run away. I think we sort of see later that it is an actual magical bond that breaks. Because it can be tricked into breaking, it turns <laughs> out. So one person who does seem to be watching after Harry and his fellow students is Madame Pomfrey. Madame Pomfrey wasn't at all pleased. You should have come straight to me, she raged, holding up the sad, limp reminder of what half an hour before had been a working arm. I can mend bones in a second, but growing them back... 
You will be able to, won't you? said Harry desperately. I'll be able to, certainly, but it will be painful, said Madame Pomfrey grimly, throwing Harry a pair of pajamas. You'll have to stay the night. Hermione waited outside the curtain drawn around Harry's bed while Ron helped him into his pajamas. It took a while to stuff the rubbery, boneless arm into a sleeve. How can you stick up for Lockhart now, Hermione, eh? Ron called through the curtain as he pulled Harry's limp fingers through the cuff. If Harry had wanted deboning, he would have asked. Anyone can make a mistake, said Hermione, and it doesn't hurt anymore, does it, Harry? No, said Harry, getting into bed, but it doesn't do anything else either. As he swung himself onto the bed, his arm flapped pointlessly. Hermione and Madame Pomfrey came around the curtain. Madame Pomfrey was holding a large bottle of something labeled Skellagro. You're in for a rough night, she said, pouring out a steaming beakerful and handing it to him. Regrowing bones is a nasty business. So was taking the Skellagro. It burnt Harry's mouth and throat as it went down, making him cough and splutter. Still tut-tutting about dangerous sports and inept teachers, Madame Pomfrey retreated, leaving Ron and Hermione to help Harry gulp down some water. She does her job well. She regrows the bones. I have a few quibbles with her bedside manner, because as she's passing Harry this Skelligrow potion, which will regrow your bones, apparently... This is a problem that wizards occasionally confront because there's a pharmaceutical for it. <laughs> well, clearly there's a spell that can take away your bones. Yeah, yeah. So she tells Harry, this is going to hurt a lot. You're in for a rough night, son. I don't find that to be a problem. I mean, I think it's useful when medical professionals are honest about what you're in for. When they tell you it's not going to hurt and then it does... You feel like you've been lied to. All right, fair enough. I just she's you know, a she little gruff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, it's more her directness. Yeah, I appreciate it though, and I think Harry does because everybody else seems to be constantly lying to him. That's true. That's true. So finally, someone's giving him it straight up. You're gonna suffer, son. Madame Pomfrey seems to be one of the more serious professionals at Hogwarts. She's never fails at her job. The rest of them fail constantly <laughs> at the very, very very basic premises of their jobs. And Madame Humphrey is really, really, really a good physician. I guess she's technically a nurse, but she seems to be able to do anything that any other medical professional would be able to do in the medical world. Except apparently provide Harry with some kind of painkiller for the Skelligro. Oh, that's true. There are... Harry's like, can I please just have some ibuprofen? And Madame <laughs> Humphrey's like... What's that? That sounds like a crazy muggle thing. That doesn't happen, but you'd think Harry would be like, Although come on, man, just some Advil. It's so in keeping with everything we know about wizards that they've invented all of these crazy medical potions. And then they're just like, here's an oily rag for you to bite down on. Because they're, <laughs> they're, most of their technology is medieval. Right. So, no, it makes total sense that they don't have any kind of anesthetics. <laughs> I would be shocked if they... Their only anesthetic seems to be that most of their patients pass out from pain. They're... Everybody... They've cured the common cold with, oh, with the pepper-up pepper potion. pepper-up potion. That's Except true. It, I mean, it makes your ears smoke, so I don't know what would... Is that better or worse than having a cold? I guess that's better. I think it's fine. It sounds cool. Way better. Yeah. Um, it looks neat. But, yeah, Madame Pomfrey seems bonkers good at her job. All right. But, she, yeah, she's unable to provide palliative care. So no. that's a major... Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's a major, major issue in muggle medicine. That's a major drawback. Maybe if you just ignore... I mean, here's the thing, though. 
they've created a society in which people don't expect pain relief. So they've thwarted a lot of the big problems that we have in muggle medicine, which is people being overly dependent on pain relief. I mean, they don't have an opioid epidemic, do they? Because people are like, things just fucking hurt. I don't know whether it's necessarily better to have such strong pain relief that we can all escape from the realities of our bodies at any given time. When we were discussing how Hogwarts is so off the rails earlier, you know, I was thinking... One of the recurring jokes is that Madame Pomfrey doesn't want people coming into the hospital wing to bug the students, and she is always trying to keep Harry, whenever Harry's in the hospital wing, she's very dubious about him leaving to go to, like, a school feast. There's this line that said she thinks, she, she like, mutters her disapproval about Harry going to the feast as if a feast was, like, the most dangerous thing in the world. Uh, maybe she's fucking correct, and she wants to sequester as many students in the hospital wing as possible because the rest of this school is just so treacherous. It's so funny because she is she's depicted as such a like worrywart fuddy-duddy, and she just seems to be the only one who's aware that everything has gone to hell. Yeah. When she's like muttering about inept teachers, I'm like, girl, preach. <laughs> you are the only one that can do your job. For the love of God, never quit Hogwarts because all those kids will die. Yeah, she is very correct that everything in the school can and will kill you. It's true. And she it's funny. She's kind of the only one that sees all of those impacts except for Dumbledore who literally doesn't give a shit. Yeah, Dumbledore thinks it's like character building or he's, something. I don't seems know. to, yeah. The other thing that she is, this is going back to the last book, but she's fucking discreet. Because you true. know that she knows that Ron was bitten by a dragon. She doesn't say anything. Her doctor-patient confidentiality is on point. All the time, Harry comes in with shit where she could be like, we need to have a conversation about what is happening in your home life or your school life. And... um she keeps people's secrets, you know? She's very discreet. Damn, I hadn't even thought of that. Later on, Hermione, little mini spoiler alert, <laughs> turns herself into a cat by accident. And Madame Pomfrey doesn't say shit. She fixes her. She doesn't tell anybody that Hermione has brewed an illegal potion and then used it to turn herself into a cat accidentally. She doesn't tattle. No, she's, like, the only person that, like, protects anybody's, like, secrets. Damn, Madame Pomfrey is... A model of professionalism yeah. in these books. Also, the best adult at Hogwarts. Actually, you know all these times where I'm like, Harry, tell a grown-up. From now on, I'm going to be like, Yeah, tell Madame go Pomfrey. Go tell Madame go, Pomfrey. Go to Madame Pomfrey, oh for the God. love of God. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, contrast that with Madame Pince, who doesn't actually seem to want to check out library books to anyone. Oh, yeah, Madame Pince is the librarian. She's a weird character. She's fucking grumpy when anybody wants a book. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, you have one job. That's yeah. to provide books and information. But the grouchy librarian is kind of like a trope. Yeah, like, yeah, it is. She makes some sense. It's just weird to have a restricted section. Yeah, just maybe don't have these books if you don't want or them to be there. Or don't practice so much censorship, y'all. That's true. Although I guess I have never read a banned book that told me how to turn into another person. Like, step-by-step instructions. Yeah, so. they've got like the anarchist cookbook in there or whatever. <laughs> it's just like... Yeah, the funny thing dangerous is, weapons in the, uh, none of the restricted section. books are just like this book has too many sex scenes. It's all just like, well, this has instructions for murder. <laughs> so maybe I get why they're why those are restricted. All right, so let's talk a little about the fact that Harry is a parcel mouth. So yes. Harry is bilingual. It turns out he can talk to snakes. 
this is looked down upon in the wizarding. That's not looked down upon. It's looked upon with... It's uh, feared. It's, it's feared. It's sketchy. It's considered to be sketchy as fuck. The fact that you could talk to uh, talk to snakes because it's a mark of... Uh, generally, something only dark wizards can do. So it turns out Salazar Slytherin could talk to snakes. Was we famous learn, for it. Yeah, was famous for it. That's why Slytherin's mascot is a the symbol of Slytherin House. Not their mascot is a serpent. It'd be hilarious if they had an actual serpent mascot that like danced at Quidditch games. Their mascot but, uh, is the fucking bloody baron. The bloody baron so yeah. that's Let's be also real. scary. They, they don't have mascots in the wizarding world. Just the spirits of the dead. It's <laughs> so creepy. Okay. So you know, as you do, and I. This is one of many moments to come where J.K. Rowling very interestingly takes details that seemed kind of inconsequential or maybe not inconsequential but just little details that seemed like throwaway or fun or interesting and imbues them with greater significance later on so in Sorcerer's Stone we saw that Harry had a little chat with a boa constrictor at the zoo with mm-hmm. Dudley yeah and it seemed like kind of a funny oh magic 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 getting magical moment you know but is so, that what kind that of we, moment it I don't know you know yeah no like it was a, it was and it was a funny scene a funny little set piece but it turns out that was actually an augur of uh doom yeah something <laughs> it's interesting that there are all of these things that Harry doesn't know about himself Harry becomes kind of an unreliable teller of his own tale in this book and that sort of gets more and more true as the series goes on because Harry is living his life without knowing a lot about his life Mm. so as more of these mysteries get revealed Harry becomes I think almost like an unreliable narrator I guess technically he doesn't narrate. Yeah, he's not narrating. Well, no, I mean, it's told like in, so it's told in pretty close, like third person limited. It's not a first person narration, but it's still pretty distinctly from Harry's perspective. I mean, we're with Harry as we move through this world. So I think he kind of counts as an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Because he doesn't know a lot about himself. And obviously his self-discovery is one of the central features of the series. And his self-discovery, a thing that she does really well, is Harry learning about himself unfolds alongside Harry sort of growing into the chosen savior of the Wizarding World. But when he learns that he's a parcel mouth, he has this crisis. Harry lay awake for hours that night. Through a gap in the curtains around his four-poster, he watched snow starting to drift past the tower window and wondered, could he be a descendant of Salazar Slytherin? He didn't know anything about his father's family after all. The Dursleys had always forbidden questions about his wizarding relatives. Quietly, Harry tried to say something in parcel tongue. The words wouldn't come out. It seemed he had to be face-to-face with a snake to do it. But I'm in Gryffindor, Harry thought. The sorting hat wouldn't have put me in here if I had Slytherin blood. Ah, said a nasty little voice in his brain. But the sorting hat wanted to put you in Slytherin, don't you remember? And I think this is a relatable experience that he has. He's scared that he's bad and doesn't know it. Mm. 
And Which we talked a little about last episode. We did. But this sort of solidifies for him that there's a lot that lives in him that could be evil. And I think it's a really terrifying experience to know that you might be wrong or might be bad and aren't aware of it. And I think that's like, it's particularly useful in a book for this age group because I just feel like when I was, you know, 12, 13, I remember having moments where I would like make a choice that was wrong and then sort of really quickly be like, I didn't actually know that that kind of wrongness was in me. Like, did you ever do something really malicious and then be like, I didn't actually know that I felt that way or that I had that or that those capacities existed within me. I'm sure I did. Uh, but Harry doesn't talk to the snake on purpose. It's no, kind of a... but it's an, it's an analog for yeah. adolescence where you learn that there's like darkness inside of people. Yeah. Even people who consider themselves good. I, I, I don't mean that it's like a direct experience, but it's kind of a metaphor for like discovering that you have capacities that you're not proud of. Mm. Harry is really freaked out by the fact that he speaks Parseltongue the same way I remember being freaked out the first time I was really like a bully. I wasn't like more a bully than most girls in middle school, but I definitely had moments where I was fucking vicious and then I was like, hmm, I didn't know that lived in me. I just think Harry's having that kind of experience. And I think one thing that she knows is that all people, but especially all young people, are really, really, really unreliable narrators of their own lives because they don't actually know a ton about themselves. And self-discovery is really complicated and really scary. Right, right. So if we look at parts of these books as metaphors for what it's like to learn how to be a person, I think that these are really instructive moments where Harry is like, there might be stuff in me that I really don't like and I don't know how to move forward knowing that. Yeah. Another interesting aspect of this parcel mouth revelation is how other people don't perceive Harry's story the way he perceives it because we immediately see these conspiracy theories start to float around about Harry and how he might be the heir of Slytherin, which of course seems ridiculous if you're Harry and one of Harry's friends, but is it that ridiculous? I don't know. Uh, I think Ernie McMillan, who Harry overhears chatting with some Hufflepuffs, has a pretty decent conspiracy theory. Basically, Ernie's like a Voldemort truther. So Ernie is sketching out various theories with his fellow Hufflepuffs about why Harry might be the heir of Slytherin. One is that Mrs. Norris was attacked after Harry had this run-in with Filch. Colin Creevy was super annoying to Harry. And then, boom, Colin ends up attacked. Nobody actually knows how Harry survived the attack from Voldemort. That's never made clear. So Ernie theorizes that maybe Voldemort was trying to knock off a potential rival. Obviously, Harry can talk to snakes, which is something only dark wizards could do, like Salazar Slytherin. So Voldemort may have found that threatening if he knew for some reason. You know, like Harry should have 
died. So anyway, Ernie's like, this thing goes all the way to the top. Uh, it was an inside job or whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> and this thing is so confusing for Harry that if you were outside of the loop in any way, this seems not implausible. The only thing that makes it implausible to me, two things. First of all, Dumbledore's clear favoritism of Harry. I mean, unless you sort, you would have to then buy that Dumbledore is a dark wizard himself or harboring a great dark wizard in order to, I guess, like what, be like a senior member of his ruling caliphate when Harry Potter comes to power. Like, I don't know why Dumbledore would be in Harry's corner if you believe what almost everyone at Hogwarts believes which is that Dumbledore is like a great good wizard and the other thing is Harry's best friends with Hermione right well I mean it's easily debunkable but you can see why people would start to like hatch these crazy conspiracy theories around Harry Potter once this parcel mouth thing comes to light because a lot of what happened to Harry isn't well explained. So the Harry hero, this is the first time where we see the myth of Harry Potter start to crack apart for some people in the wizarding world. Or start to turn. And here's mm-hmm. the thing Which that of I course think. it does in a much more dramatic way later in the series, but this is like the beginning of the, I don't know, the Harry Potter backlash. Right. And Ernie's not right. He's completely wrong, but it's interesting to see how someone who moves outside these circles he's just your uh you know wizarding average joe responds to well here's what i think about because the thing that we know about conspiracy theories is that they spawn in low information environments so i actually think that the rumors about Harry being the heir of slytherin are a pretty serious indictment of dumbledore's leadership because he has a school full of very scared children and he's just not telling them anything. Yeah, they're training amulets and like wearing onions and things to right. ward off the beast of Slytherin. Well, so, I mean, that's a thing that you see in the muggle world too. I mean, the thing that's interesting about conspiracy theories is that they get strongest around information that is deliberately kept from the public, but that is important for the public to have. So the things that we as a public, have the most conspiracy theories about are scary things that the powerful refuse to explain or refuse to explain in a way that suits the needs of the governed. I mean, this kind of goes back to our earlier conversation, but it's less funny. Like, Dumbledore has lost his way as the leader of this school because these are children that are coming up with insane but also plausible theories because they are being given nothing to work with that makes them feel safe or secure and his main job as the leader and also the other teachers like i mean mcgonagall should be dealing with this better snape should be dealing with this better like there's all these adults in their lives whose primary job is to keep them safe but also to make them know that they are safe and nobody's doing that job i don't know maybe dumbledore is trying to forestall greater panic because the conspiracies people are coming up with can't be worse than the real fucking thing, which is that, spoiler alert, the some spectral remain of Voldemort has unleashed the I beast just, within the chamber. I think it's very rare that less information is good. Here's the thing. Yeah. The teachers have not even confirmed publicly that the Chamber of Secrets exists. Mm. So they're just like, 
all of these kids are operating in like a high danger and low information environment. And that is what gives birth to crazy conspiracy theories. So I actually have, I have a lot of empathy for people like Ernie McMillan, even though like Harry gets so angry at Ernie. And you understand that. Like yeah, from yeah. Harry's perspective, like he's like, man, I have been through so fucking much. You don't even know. You cannot possibly imagine my story, my experience, my pain. How dare you turn around and accuse me of these horrible, awful acts that directly impact people I care for. I get Harry's perspective. But Ernie's perspective is also super understandable because Ernie is terrified and none of the people... It's not Harry Potter's responsibility to put people at ease. It's Dumbledore's responsibility. Like, he has not addressed the school. Think about that. Yeah, I know. Like, he should just get on the fucking magical intercom and be like, hey, everybody, like, here's what we know. Here's some, like, pretty... You know what I mean? Like, any teacher would do this. Like, here's some basic ways to keep yourself safe. Don't go around by yourself. You know what I mean? Like, they have given no information to these kids. And they're fucking horrified. Yeah. There's a monster on the loose, and their headmaster has not done anything. The Hogwarts faculty are not covering themselves in glory. In oh these, my god! Uh, no, they're they're these it's couple a chapters. Mess. So Hermione, Ron, and Harry have another theory, uh, which is the theory that I think makes sense, and you don't. They think that it's Draco Malfoy. So you go first. Mostly, I don't think it makes sense because Draco is so incompetent i mean draco doesn't he's not successful in very many of his evil endeavors thus far and i think they are allowing their hatred of draco to kind of imbue him with these abilities that he just manifestly doesn't have draco's not actually that machiavellian like he manages to get his ass caught when he's um in book one, when he's trying to get them caught out for taking the dragon up to the astronomy tower. I mean, he's just... Draco sucks. They hate him so much that they're like, wow, maybe Draco is actually the most evil thing we could possibly imagine. And that just doesn't happen very, very often, you know? I, I agree with you. Like, Draco is not smart enough on his own to be the heir of Slytherin. Counterpoint. Yeah. They do, once they find out that the chamber has been opened before... They actually believe that the instructions are coming from Lucius Malfoy. And in that, they're actually not that's, all that yeah, wrong. That's much closer to the truth. Like, there, it is, I mean, it's a little bit, I guess the thing that kind of bugs me about the plot of this is it's a little too much like, oh, it's probably Snape. And then the next book is like, oh, it's probably Draco. And I just want to be like, save yourselves the time. It's never Snape or Draco. <laughs> Except yeah. when hey, it is, it's Snape all... And Draco right. in fucking book six. Wow. Okay, uh, anyway, but anyway. Yeah. But, you know, they they don't think that he's acting alone. They believe that Lucius Malfoy opened it before when he was at school and that he is now helping Draco to open it. Draco is the only student so far, besides, I guess, sort of Crab and Goyle, like, by association, that has openly expressed this kind of, like, murderous hatred toward Muggleborns. So that part of it makes sense. I mean, Draco's the only one that seems capable in terms of how he feels. Yeah. And he has the motivation. He has. He's the only student with a motive that we can find. Besides Harry, if you sort of believe Ernie McMillan. Which, like you said, it's not the least believable. But they're not super wrong about it being Lucius in a certain way. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, um, you're right. They're 
closer to on the money in this one than they are in the last one with their sort of like red herring pursuit of of, of Snape yeah in fact when they find out that it isn't Draco which they're gonna do soon I guess that's a little bit of a spoiler but they the polyjuice potion will, thing will eventually work um they actually get further from the truth when they sort of eliminate him as a suspect because in fact the idea that Lucius is in some way behind this is not wrong right I have a little bit of a question, speaking of Snape, just, this is just like a, a thing I wondered if you had noticed and thought about, um, really fast. When Snape suggests to Draco that he do the snake charm during the dueling club, does Snape know what's going to happen? That's a good question because he gives Harry that This kind of shrewd look. Calculating look. So does Snape know that Harry is going to implicate himself with Parseltongue? Snape can read minds. Right. They sense that in every single book. It turns out to be pretty close to true. It could be that he's testing to see if Harry is a parcel tongue. You think he's maybe testing a theory? Mm-hmm. Do you think... Because here's a thing. He and Dumbledore are in close communication throughout this whole time, we eventually learn. Part of me thinks that Snape might actually also think that it's Harry, though. I think Snape might be right a tr- uh, like a a, a, tr- a potter truther maybe that was one my one of my theories anyway but so i think basically that we're in agreement i also think that snape has an idea that something interesting might happen with a snake <laughs> or he just thinks it'd be funny as hell no because he no, seems he to do no it su- deliberately yeah and he has no sense of humor he has no sense of humor no he's a pretty dour fella <laughs> one just last little note about the chamber of secrets the fact that nearly headless Nick is also ghost petrified is maybe the most horrifying thing that happens in this book. Because I forget which character says this, but one of them is like, what could hurt something that's already dead? <sighs> like, that is so chilling. I mean, we've seen that Nick can be emotionally wounded. No, no, no. But, but like, is, he is uh, incapacitated. Yeah, physically... To physically incapacitate an already dead being. Like, you can do shit. To someone who has died. They have to waft him with a fan? Yeah, that's a funny scene. It's like sort of macabre funny, but... Does she make Ernie do it? Ernie does it, yeah. Oh my god. (laughs) She's just like, well, McGonagall is standing there like, what the fuck do we do with this ghost? Your pal Justin's just been attacked. Uh, Here's a fan. Please waft this ghost. (laughs) Yeah. So terrible. Oh my god, they're just inflicting trauma upon trauma. To the hospital wing. Um, Uh, Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is, I got a couple. One would be Snape for just blowing Gilderoy the fuck away. That yeah, that's is a great a, moment. That's a great moment. And uh, we see a little bit of Snape's dueling prowess. You know what? I take back that Snape has no sense of humor. That's a funny scene, and it's funny on purpose. Mm-hmm. Snape, is, Snape is being funny when he <laughs> fucks Gilderoy's shit up. And he finds the most maximally hilarious pairings. In he the does. Dueling, you know. He does. And my other unsung hero, heroes, would be the entire Gryffindor Quidditch team, with the exception of Oliver Wood, because they tell Wood, it's not worth it, man. We need to call this match. Harry's going to get murdered. But Wood, of course, like the Captain Ahab of Quidditch that he is, <laughs> is just like, no, you need to catch the white whale slash... Small gold ball. Yeah. Also, 
speaking of the Gryffindor Quidditch team, I do think it's very funny how after Harry gets his arm shattered, everybody, like, one by one, all these, the Quidditch players all come in, and Ron and Hermione do the same thing, and they're like, oh, Harry, like, we're so sorry you're hurt, like, you're okay, and then everybody, like, pauses for a second, and then they're like, yo, great fucking catch, though, bro. They're <laughs> yo. like, we won! Yo, we won! We won, we won, we won! <laughs> uh, she does get at the mania of sports fandom oh in that way so wow just the like (laughs) oh you're have 10 concussions well you know at least we football (laughs) yeah boom yeah my unsung hero is Colin Creevy um because the reason the time that he gets petrified McGonagall says that there was a bunch of grapes next to him and that they're pretty sure he was sneaking to the hospital wing to visit Harry and bring him grapes which is so nice, I could cry. Colin is like, you could probably eat some fruit. <laughs> oh, he's such an angel. Bringing in the lamest, sweetest uh, baby angel snack. Anyway, Colin. well, he's petrified now. Yeah, but not forever. Yeah, but later on he dies. Sorry, that's a spoiler. Should we take it out? Maybe. No, we're leaving it in. We're leaving it in. People know. Creevy's doomed. Yeah, both his of them. love for Harry Potter. We'll kill him. We'll kill him. So that, so, I mean, so will Dobby's. Jesus, these are sad books. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Those are adult themes. Yeah, if yeah. there ever were there's, some. There's going to be some death. Murder. I told you guys. Hell and murder. We we warned you from episode one. Murder most magical. Yep. Okay. That's, damn, a horrible note to end on, but we're done. Hey, you know, these books get real. This week's episode is brought to you by the Nimbus 2001 the best fucking broom there is until we make another one (laughs) the audiobook clips you heard are from jim dale's performance of harry potter and the chamber of secrets provided by penguin random house audio and available wherever audiobooks are procured if you would be so kind as to go on itunes and first of all subscribe to the podcast so that it shows up when we publish it on your little telephones also please 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 i'm begging you guys please go and rate us five stars and leave us a review or however many stars you feel are appropriate fuck it i'm gonna ask people to leave us five stars i'm all for editorial integrity okay maybe not no okay five stars please please most podcasts say can you please go rate us five stars really yeah wow podcasters are thirsty well we have to be (laughs) Okay, I guess fine. If you want to leave us one star, do that. I'm I, like, I literally can't stop you. Let's put it this way: if you do enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you would go and express that by leaving us a five star rating and a review. If you have time and feel that you want to do so, we read the reviews and we love them. And the ratings and reviews help other people find the podcast. And if you don't like this podcast, why are you still listening? It's the yeah. end of the episode. It's episode yeah. 11. Yeah, you also. could have shut this thing off a long time ago. So we don't feel bad for you. I don't feel bad for you anyway. I think you're wrong about this podcast. <laughs> we have a newsletter, tinyletter.com slash podcast. It's fun. You should sign up. There's Owl News. Yep. It comes with Owl News. And we're on Twitter, which is also at Quibbler Podcast. We have like 36 followers now. Probably by the time this airs, it'll be even more than that. Yeah, 37. It'll be number 37. It might be 37 listeners. Dang. So that's it for today. Bye. Thanks, amigos.
I shudder to think if Albus hadn't been on the way downstairs for hot chocolate, who knows what might have 